Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Dave, I've got a stack worthy for you. Good. TV quiz master Richard Osman currently has three novels in the top ten in his Thursday Murder Club series, uh, a bit of a literary phenomenon, and his crime fiction deliberately chooses characters with the most mundane-sounding ordinary names. And pop stars born with uh, mundane-sounding ordinary names tend to change them to something more exotic. So here are ten names, and I put it to you, you have to figure out which are the Richard Osman characters which are the birth names of real musicians? Oh, okay. Good. All right, okay. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Rory Graham, is that a fictional sleuth or a pop star in hiding? Fictional sleuth. It's Rag and Bone Man. That's his real name. Very there this you is go. good. This is good. Go on. Oh, you like it? Okay. Yeah, William yeah. Perks. Well, I know that. That's Bill Wyman. Yeah, I thought you would. That was Bill Wyman. No wonder he changed his name. Yeah. Ron Ritchie. Crime solver or rock god? I'm going to say rock god. I'm going to say rock god. No, he is the headstrong former union activist in the the Thursday Murder Club. Maureen Gilks. Is that fact or is that fiction? Is that a pop star or is that a Richard Osman character? Richard Osman character. Yeah, it is. She's the best friend of the Murder Club leader, Joyce. Very good. (laughs) Elizabeth Grant. Real or made up? Elizabeth made up. Grant. Made up. No, she's real. That's, that's Lana Del Rey. That's her real <laughs> Elizabeth <laughs> Elizabeth Grant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello, hello. Joyce Meadowcroft. <laughs> oh, God. Pop uh, star or fictional sleuth? Fictional sleuth. Yeah, she is. She's the former nurse and member of the Thursday Murder Club. Richard James? Richard uh, James? Rock star. Yeah, he is. Yeah, you remember he was the, he's the, he's the, he's the Cornish techno wizard uh, Aphex twin. Oh, uh, right, of course. I think you probably knew, actually. Yeah, Carol Kirkwood? Carol, is Carol Kirkwood Carol Decker? No, no, no. no. Uh, go on. Probably close, actually. Carol Decker is a pretty normal name. Carol Kirkwood, no, she's a fictional crime-solving weather forecaster. Right, okay. <laughs> and lastly, Brian Warner. 
Brian Warner. There's a dull name for you. There's a prosaic if name. If you were called Brian Warner and you fancied being a rock star, you would have to change your name. So I'm going to say rock star. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is of course, Marilyn Manson. So of course, you did well. You did very well. That's very good. That's very good. So um, Twitter... Um, that's the story of the week, isn't it? Have you been following? Unbelievable all this? story. I'm just, I'm riveted by it. <laughs> I'm, can I, can I sum up what I think has happened? You could try. Go on. Yeah. Elon Musk offered to buy Twitter, didn't he, for a large sum of money? Whether or not he wanted to buy it, or just wanted the publicity, or to remind us that he's the world's richest man, I don't know. He then discovered he was in a binding contract where he had to buy it. By which time I think he'd realised that paying $44 billion for a company that loses $222 million a year might have been a really bad idea. So he's been lumbered with it. He's got off, obviously, on, on the wrong foot, hasn't he? Quite bad-tempered about it. Has fired half the staff already, very, very publicly. He has a $1 billion mortgage to pay per year on the loan he's taken off. Is that as the Am big, I right? That's the big issue. He, you yeah. can be the wealthiest man in the world. But if you have to borrow, as he has borrowed, $13 billion to help with the purchase, yeah, we've all noticed what's happening with interest rates at the moment. You know, you know if, you, if you're borrowing $13 billion from somebody right now to, to help pay for a company that doesn't make any money, yeah, they've got you by the balls. The people who've made you the thirteen billion, and they're going to want this money back really quickly. Really quickly. And how he's going to get it? I well, do I, not know. see, that's the extraordinary thing. I've done a bit, a bit of mass, an idle moment this morning because reading so much about it. He wants to charge, doesn't he? The blue tick holders eight dollars like, each, like me. Like you, you're a blue tick holder, exactly. Now I think there are only four hundred and twenty thousand. Blue tick holders, which is, and blue tick holders are, let's be honest, one of the main drives. That's why people join Twitter, basically, to follow people that they're interested in, right? So if there's only 420 of them, 420,000, and he's charging $8 each, that's less than £4 million a year. $4 well, million. No, no, it's, it's, it's $8 a month, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah. Oh, is it a month? I oh, okay, okay, it, okay. I, I, oh, I, I, right, that's different. Okay, maybe it is a month. It, yeah. But uh, oh, that's it, more like it. Yeah, it's, okay. st it's still a very it's a very long shot as to how it will. It is will work because you know my experience with blue ticks is kind of odd. I didn't really know that they existed until I kind of woke up one morning and found I had one. You know, it's not anything I. So did. who decides that they're well, going to give you one? How, how come it's bestowed upon you? Presumably, there's some kind of council that <laughs> I don't know what it is at uh, at Twitter that decides on these things. And decides people like me are of massive prominence, obviously, <laughs> you know, uh, and that there's some need to, uh, to to discriminate between me and people and who an might imposter. be yeah. Yeah, an imposter, and all the other David Hepworth. Yeah, there you go. Appears to know a lot about rock music. And, and so they, yeah. you know, they they gave me a blue tick, and uh, but the very idea they turn out to be and say. I tell you what, that blue tick that we gave you and you didn't ask for, we'd like you to give us eight dollars a month. Eight dollars a month. I think that's pretty. That's a very tough sell. That is, and also the, the thing I've been—I think I've been thinking about this—is should they manage to persuade a load of blue tick uh, holders that they should pay for the privilege? The relationship with those blue tick holders changes massively the minute you do that yeah. in that they're then subscribers and though yeah. they then 
they then have a, have rights. You know what I mean? They they then are entitled to to insist on certain things, which very much changes the balance of the whole thing. Of course, the other thing that's happened in the middle of all this is is freaked out by the kind of upset and the and the potential controversy around this. A bunch of wealthy blue chip advertisers have done what wealthy blue chip advertisers always do when there's any controversy around. Yeah, also publicity. Sit, sit on their hands and they are bothered about publicity. They're Volkswagen are not bothered yeah. about publicity at all. They just say, "All right, we, we're going to let let them cool their heels for a little while." You yeah. know. And so Elon Musk, I'm sure he's an immensely clever man. He's clearly he is the richest man in the world. But he's gone to the ripe old age of 51 without realizing what advertisers do, yeah. which is if they've got any problem, they'll just go and spend they their money away. somewhere else. You know, that's there are lots what of they, other places to spend it. loads of other places. And also, they're not going to be terribly happy about being on a site that allows a lot of what I think we'll have to call hate speech. Interesting. You know he let Kanye West back on again. <laughs> I was and let Kanye West that. back on again with a, Twitter, with a tweet, which I've just found, which says, Welcome back to Twitter, my friend. Elon Musk. So it's a personal uh, tweet to him to uh, to allow him back on again. So that's the kind of decisions he's making. And advertisers aren't wildly happy about being associated with with that kind of thing, are they? I mean, you know. And also, he's then announced, which I think is even more astonishing, that he has lost a large amount of advertising revenue. And this is to do, he says, with activists who are trying to stop free speech. It's nothing to do with activists at all. I mean, he himself, he himself uh, tweeted a thing about a baseless conspiracy theory about the assault on Nancy Pelosi's husband himself and then deleted it. So the whole thing is just going around in circles. Well, it's weird. The weird thing is at the centre of this, it's he's bought it. It's a private company. You know, he he runs. You know, he doesn't have shareholders and so forth. You know, either this would never happen in a normal transaction. You'd have wiser counsels would prevail. Somebody yeah. would be standing there saying, no, not so fast. Don't do that. You know what I mean? Clearly nobody's doing that at all. You know, it's just a load of, uh, it's a handful of incredibly mind-bogglingly wealthy I- individuals sitting in a room saying, what do we feel like doing? You yeah. Know, like, as if it was... Is it as if it was Mark Zuckerberg inventing Facebook in his dorm at Harvard all yeah. those years ago? Not that many years ago, at all, in fact, at all. Um, it's it's an absolutely extraordinary state of affairs. The people Bob who previously owned it must be just absolutely weeping with mirth, mustn't they? <laughs> because they got far more for it than they should ever have got. And they're now be able to sit back and just watch this utter catastrophe uh, unravel. And people are leaving. There was a very moving thing from Eric Idle this morning saying that he's leaving. And people are just they're, they're deserting Twitter. Maybe they'll come back, but they're certainly leaving, you know. So, uh, I don't know. It's fascinating. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. So further to what we were just saying about social media, this story that uh, on Ian Leslie's excellent uh, newsletter this morning, um, which was inspired by a, a, a piece about the architects. Now, the architects, one of those bands, a, a little bit of a side note here. I heard of them about three or four years ago via a neighbour of mine who said, 
oh, my son always fancies being a rock photographer or whatever, and I'm thinking, best of luck with that Yeah, in, in the 21st century. The, anyway. The streets are paved with gold there. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. He says, and no, anyway, he's working with this group called The Architects, and he says they're really quite big. And I thought, oh, I've never heard of them, really, but okay, fair enough. And then it turns out, as I see this guy, yes, he works for them. He's a kind of videography, does loads of, loads of things for them. And and the architects, I've, since then, I've taken as my kind of test case, have a group who are, as I would term it, obscurely incredibly famous. You know what I mean? Well, they're, it, can't they, they're playing the O2, is that right? It's, you know, and they don't just play, you know, big gigs in Britain. They play big gigs all over the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they're clearly... They're metalcore, aren't they, from Brighton? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're from Brighton. They're yeah. very kind of serious, very chin-stroking, you know, but... But their fans absolutely adore them, and you know they've got they've built a fantastic following and a fantastic business out of this. No doubt about it. They've been together absolutely years, and yet, unlike kind of rock band who would have been well known forty years ago, the average person in the street have never heard of them at all, and never will hear about them. Anyway, the point that Ian Leslie was making was that after years of uh, of uh, Laboring in relatively benign obscurity, they've they've come up with a track that's really popular, and of course that's really good, isn't it? No, no, because their fans suddenly, or some of the fans, suddenly hate them. Yes, and as Ian Leslie says, they they now think that this is an act of betrayal. You know, I mean, people used to think this. That, that historically, people always thought that. You know, you like a little group, and suddenly you well, get bigger. Small, small, small number of small number of people. Small number of people, but you've never been able to advertise that fact publicly. That's and now, the difference. That's, that's the difference, isn't it? Now everyone on social media is getting together and saying this is an absolute outrage. And of course, the guy's mortified, isn't he? He it's had some really interesting theories pers- about it. Personally hurt, you know. So the, the guy from the architect said, and he made a really good point. He said. You know, if this had been around in the days of Sergeant Pepper, Sergeant Pepper would never have happened, you know, because the blowback on anything would be so kind of piercing, so upsetting. And that's the yeah. point he making, he's making. And I think he's absolutely right that it doesn't matter how famous you are and how wealthy you are. If people don't feel bulletproof when that kind of criticism comes their way. Because criticism is always the same. It's always, oh, I've, you've come out in your true colours now at last. I always thought you were a nasty piece of work. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That, that kind of, that's the kind of thing. Well, Ian Leslie makes a really good point, doesn't he, about Bob Dylan's tour, the 1966 tour. Yeah. He said, I always thought, you know, Bob Dylan kind of didn't mind that. He just thought, you know, this is the music I want to play and I'm absolutely confident about it. I'm quite amused by the fact that the audience hates us. But no, of course, there's, there is footage of them all sitting there absolutely mortified because they're getting so much abuse every night from the audience. And they just have to believe. At one point, Robbie Robertson says, I believe we're right. I believe we're doing the right thing. We must keep going. And he says, and this, he says, Dylan's tour might have just signaled the birth of the empowered audience, a mass audience with clear expectations, which talks back where those expectations aren't met and those demands aren't listened to. And it probably was. But now, of course, that audience has got an enormous platform in which to tell people what they think. And that's no, the main do- difference, isn't it? And then the, reading this piece just made me made me reflect on something I've been thinking about for, for a year or so, is that the public, the general public, you know, unchained, 
with a mouse in their hand, yeah, you know, feeding back on anything about football or about politics or about pop music or about celebrity or anything or about a restaurant down the road are, I put it to you, way worse than the worst journalist you've ever heard of in your life. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, journalists, I know journalists, and, you know, they have the lowest uh, you know, rating in terms of public trust. Okay. Well, placed below that, your average person on Twitter, you know, unloading on what they think about, you know, the architects. Yeah, or, or unedited, ruthless, mean, team, or whatever. I mean, because... Oh, football, he makes a really good point there about football. It's how many managers have there been in the Premiership this season alone? I mean, it's virtually half of them they have been replaced. And uh, a lot of that's to do with the fact that the, 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 their, their, uh, you know, their supporters have, have got together and made public their very, very bitter thoughts about the failure of the team, you know. So that, that, whole speech, that whole process is massively speeded up. But, uh, the, but just one more point about journalists is that even the most disreputable journalist in your worst nightmare, and we don't doubt such people existed and have existed and will continue to exist, even the worst you've ever come across, can't just go into print without somebody, first of all, saying, no, you can't say that. No, you can't that. say that. There's going to that, be somebody, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You've done it wrong. Yeah, Do it again. Take all a that deep breath and never think about it. And exactly. That, that doesn't happen in the, yeah, in the yeah, world yeah, yeah. of, you know, this is why taking it to a mundane local level, I don't belong in the WhatsApp group in my streets because I just know what will happen. There's some to do about parking or God knows what, and instantly somebody goes too far. It will all go off. Yeah, yeah. And you'll fall out with a neighbour. Absolutely. Don't don't have anything to do with it at all. So anyway, that's... That's yeah, social true. media dealt with, and it's and, but it's also the fact that that quite a lot of music people tend to try out, don't they? Try out online to see if they get a reaction. If they get the right reaction, they then involve it. So, so you know, the the days of actually doing something you believed was right are, are, are very gradually eroding, aren't they? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Now, the other the other not so hot topic is I, I wanted to ask you because I haven't asked you. Now, normally, I think it was the World Cup is two weeks away or something like that. Yes, two weeks, yeah. yeah. Two weeks away. Now, normally, if we're two weeks away from the World Cup, it's like being two weeks away from Christmas, yes? Because you think, oh, I've got that to look forward to. Yeah, and every day there's going to be stuff in the papers and all over the news saying there's this kind of speculation. Normally, it's in summer, obviously, you know. And normally you're thinking, oh, we've got the end of the season. Oh, don't worry. We don't have to miss football. It's coming back on bigger and better in a few weeks' time. Do you feel like that <laughs> right now? No. Well, firstly, there is absolutely, there is simply only one story about Qatar at the moment, isn't it? And if you don't acknowledge that story, which is the kind of the human rights record and the homophobia, and all, if you don't acknowledge that, it looks like you don't care about that aspect of it. And that might then reflect badly on you. And so nobody's able to just say, great, the World Cup's coming. Who's going to be in the squad? Who's going to be there? And what, who's going to be, who'll be the, the surprise outsiders who are going to triumph? And who are they going to be the big, uh, big standards who are going to trip up and fall early on? There is none of that at all. I, do, you see, I think, and you can't scientifically prove this at all, but this is what I feel in my water, Mark. Yeah. Nobody. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. ...gives a monkeys about the whole thing apart from the handful of people who are paid to give a monkeys about it right now. And oh, well, in terms of just making a fuss about it now, you're absolutely broad, right. Broadcasters, broadcasters have to do it. You know, it, they've all signed up their sponsorship deals. You know, I was listening to Talk Sport this morning, and it's desperate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Please be excited about this. You know what I mean? It's coming up. We've got a lot of revenue on the line this year Absolutely. around this thing. You know, so this applies to Gary Neville. It applies to, you know, Gary Lineker. It applies to all the broadcasters, all the newspapers. They're the people who are bothered about it. If you you don't meet anybody in the pub or as part of your daily life, it raises the subject for a second. And that's been my experience. No, I, I totally agree with you because it's ha- you're haunted by those kind of memories of the whole set blatter <laughs> affair and the, the, the well, you know, the, the, fact that, the fact that it's just a load of people have brought themselves into a community. But also, but also, it's you know, li- leaving aside if we can say this, leaving aside the kind of human rights side of it. Depart that for a moment. Yeah. It's the wrong time of year. It's it in the wrong place. It it's could in be the, the wrong middle temperature. of the damn Might. season. You know? Aren't they going to have to play in some air-conditioned stadium? I mean, uh, all that could go wrong. It could just be too hot. It could be too difficult. It, it just doesn't t- feel right. And the Premiership is being held up for about a month, which is appalling. What an it's, intrusion. It's like, do we... i tell you what it's like. Is you know, do, When we hear about Australians spending Christmas on the beach... Do we feel envious? No, we bloody no, we don't. don't. We not at all. We think but it seems wrong. We think poor sods. Yeah, yeah. You know, get it, it's not very Christmassy. Christmas is coziness. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it is. And like Absolutely. the World Cup is summerness, isn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's the it's the every fourth summer. There's yeah. there's more reason to stay indoors and watch yeah. telly, you know, and you don't feel that at all. And uh, now maybe, maybe. Do you think it'll change? change? See, don't, don't forget that before each World Cup, there is always a kind of, oh, God, you know, we're going to be 
badly, the stadiums haven't been finished in time, there's something wrong, there's something about the organisation that we disagree with. And then if it gets going on the right foot and we start to win, people get involved. So it might, that might, I don't know. I mean, I must admit, we're going into it with the wrong, in the wrong frame of mind completely. I think, think? The, I think the world's going into the wrong frame of mind, you know. I think, yeah, the I whole think, world. I think it's the whole world. I think the whole world. Watching is, Gary Neville on Have I Got News For You last night, he was the host, and there he was being the cheery kind of, well, you know, the World Cup's coming. And, of course, he got a complete roasting from me in his love about the fact that he's going out there and accepting the to, to do the, the commentary. And, of course, I love, I have to say, I love Gary Neville. I love him. You know, all that stuff he's done for the, you know, the, the poor of Manchester and the NHS, and he's just he's just a brilliant bloke. There he was trying to defend the fact that he was going out there. He said, well, you've got two options. Either you go out there and you say something about it, or you stay at home and you don't. And in his in his life, he said, well, why don't you just stay at home and say something about it and not accept the Qatari dollar, you know? And he didn't really have a response for that. Because, you know, God I'm knows sure. what they're getting paid. Can you imagine? It must be colossal. But anyway, we shall see. Maybe we'll all be, be here in two weeks' time getting very excited about it. But at the moment, it's a bit... Uh, not at the moment. Not at the moment. The Word Podcast, one of the few things you really need in life. So I've been thinking about the base because I got some fabulous new speakers, spend ridiculous amounts of money on them. Uh, but I've not regretted it so far. And uh, I think I've got away with it so far, Mark. Yeah, um, good. And uh, one of the things that is wonderful about these speakers is suddenly bass sounds wonderful. I don't mean it sounds... You know, it doesn't make the house tremble or anything like that. I'm not bothered about that kind of thing. It just, it just, you can actually hear it. You know, yeah, you, know yeah, what I mean? yeah. you, you yeah. don't just feel it. You can actually hear it. You can hear the tone of the bass. And so that's made me suddenly drawn to lots of records in which the bass is really prominent. And actually, yesterday, I went and bought a Stanley Clark album. Nice. <laughs> Stanley Clark's album, School Days. Um uh, I got a CD of that. And I was uh, last night I was playing a load of um well weather report and Joni Mitchell records that that feature um Jacko Pastorius on fantastic. the pace. Absolutely fantastic though. And I was kind of recapping the extraordinary story of Jacko Pastorius. So do, do you know well, what I passed in the street in New oh, York? Oh, did you really? Go on. I was Tell out me. there for whistle testing. I think it must have been about nineteen eighty-six. And I was out there with our producer, Trevor Dan. I was doing a, um, a little piece about Suzanne Vega. And I was on my way to meet Suzanne Vega. And this guy came stumbling past me. I've never seen anybody look so disheveled and, and dilapidated. He had long hair and a kind of ponytail and looked completely pissed and out of his head. And he had no shoes. And I just I thought, that's Jacko Pastorius. That's a, I, knew, oh I never knew that. God, oh, yeah, no, I should have told you that. Yeah, and I thought, that's definitely him. And I think about six months, maybe seven or eight months died. later, he died. He died. He, he was. Died. He was. He was. He was a derelict. You know. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he was very quite desperate. He was, state. He, his base, his legendary base, yeah. was stolen from where? From a park bench in Central Park. Yeah. 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 Which rather suggested that that was the last thing he had. You know. Yeah. Anyway, I was trying to remember. So Jacob Pastorius. I first heard of Jacob Pastorius, and in I think 1974. On a Pat Metheny record, first time I'd heard of Pat Metheny, made a record called Bright Size Life on ECM, very simple jazz trio, and uh, and the you know one of the one of the other members of the trio was Jacob Pastorius. It was kind of similar generation, you know, uh, and like Pat Metheny was kind of 
young, hip, good-looking jazz guitar player. Jacob Pistorius was young, hip, good-looking electric bass player and uh, and became a real legend for having this this very distinctive style. He took the bass and he took the frets off it, you know, so he could slide his fingers up and down. And like he had this and stuff, yeah. very incredibibly lyrical sound. Oh, right? God. And Have you ever he, heard Come On, Come Over by him? Look that out. Yes, yes. Absolutely yeah, yeah. unbelievable. The last two minutes of that. I mean, it's very, very complicated technical stuff, but beautiful to listen to. Your speakers would love that. Carry on. Go on. And anyway, he joined Weather Report. Um, and, you know, having introduced himself to Joe Salvignol from Weather Report, pretty much saying, I'm the best bass player in the world, you know, because front was not something he was he was short of at all. He was a completely different creature than the average jazz cat, you know. He yeah. was kind of hippie, you know. And um, and sure enough, he was the best player, best bass player in the world. He joins a weather report, and they, they start having hits, don't they? Birdland yeah. and so forth. And I saw them. I'm trying to remember exactly where I saw them. It was sometime in the late 70s. Must have been Hammersmith. Um, and I always loved Weather Report. Weather Report were formed by Joe Zarwin or Wayne Shorter, who were two kind of Miles Davis alumni, you know, yeah. they're the old jazzers. And suddenly they're joined on stage by this uh, young, good-looking guy who, who stands up and plays the bass, which looks dead sexy. And then if, if that, if that, as if that wasn't sexy enough, used to used to play with his shirt off. He did. Can you imagine what, what kind of message that sends to yeah, Joe yeah. Sattwiddle? So and, suddenly the male-female balance in the weather report audience starts to change dramatically, I'm sure. Yeah. And anyway, you know, he's the star that people turn up to see, really. You know, certainly anybody who played the bass have fancied themselves as a bass player. And I was listening today to, there was a, a live album they must have made of that tour called 830, where Jacko, Jacko's star has risen sufficiently in Weather Report that he's allowed to be co-producer on the live album. And that clearly manifests itself in only one way, in turning up the audience applause noise whenever he plays a solo. a bass solo. Whenever there's a bit of bass, yeah, you, yeah, su- yeah. you suddenly hear the, the whole of wherever it is rises one yeah, yeah. in adoration of Jacko. And, uh, yeah, anyway, he was with them for a few years and then he obviously got – I think he had two problems, that you know, he was drinking drugs, and but he had some major psychiatric yeah, he did, yeah. As well. And went off as a solo and then, you know, was what what eventually killed him was he turned up unannounced at, at a party after a gig in, I think, Los Angeles and had been told he wasn't going to be ad- admitted. You know, he was chucked out but still trying to get back in. Oh, then was he shot or attacked? No, he wasn't. He was, at, he was attacked. There was some altercation with a very, very heavy security man or whatever. That's who right. Who well, I think he actually was imprisoned. But manslaughter, yeah. Yeah, manslaughter, yeah. four months, that's right, yeah. And um, and that was the end of Jacket Pastorius. But, uh, you know, the sound he oh. made... And, and and I was listening to uh, for the roses, isn't he on for the roses? No, he's not on for the he's roses. Not, he's on Hajira. He's on Hajira, yeah. and he's very distinctive on Hajira. And he's on um, uh, the Shadows and Light, which was the live album she made not long after that. But I tell you what, he's all over, and that's what I was playing last night, which is not a record I'd listened to very much 
in the past, apart from one track, is Joni Mitchell's Don Juan's Reckless. Oh, Daughter. yeah, yeah, fantastic. Look, he's he's absolutely key in that whole record, you know what I mean? So the lead instrument on that record is the bass. Yeah. In a, in a way that's uh, not kind of flashily at all, you know what I mean? Because usually people, people say, oh, you got to hear the bass on this. It usually means it, it's frantic, you know what I mean? There's millions of notes. That's what we're supposed yeah. to be impressed by. But no, it's not often. It's just the, 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 the timbre, isn't it? It's the kind of it's the resonance of it, you know, like London calling. And uh, hit me with your rhythm, rhythm stick. Another fantastic one. A lemon That's song, a, Roundabout by Yes. Fantastic. Good Times by Talking Sheen. of hit me with your rhythm stick, um, well, we were talking to Trevor Horn this week, weren't we, about we his, were. uh, uh, his excellent book, Adventures in Recording. Is that what it's called? I think. Yeah, another bass player. Yeah. And of course, he talks about two tribes. Uh, Frankie goes to Hollywood, and they tried that, didn't they, with the blockheads? He writes about that. Yeah, they tried it with the blockheads, and it was good, but he didn't quite have the energy that they wanted. But the bit that they kept was the bit that normal Watroy. That's um, right. Contributed to it, you know. He's so fantastic. He is absolutely. Fantastic. I was reading the uh, on the subject of basis. I was reading the Dylan uh, Dylan's uh, philosophy of modern song right. book. And are and, you enjoying uh, that? I'm come well. It's difficult to say. It's. It, I mean, it's beautifully written. You know, he has these kind of uh, subjective flights of fancy, and uh, it's very, very. Uh, it's very uh, sense impressionist, and he. But he never tells you anything about the actual songwriter, or very rarely about or about the musicians. It's all this is my feeling listening to this song. As a listener, so I miss the kind of journalistic element if I want to know who these people are, you know. But there's just—I thought it was a really good one this morning. I was just reading this thing about um, about Phil Lesh about the Grateful Dead. He says, and she's very good at the Grateful Dead. He says, essentially, they're a dance band. They have more in common with Artie Shaw and Bebop than they do with the Birds and the Stones. Whirling dervish dancers are as much a part of their music as anything else. There's a big difference in the type of women that you see from the stage when you're with the Stones compared to the Dead. With the Stones, it's like being a porno convention. With the Dead, it's more like the women you see in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh, said, uh, uh, he said uh, that they're floating and snaky and free and slithering like, a, like in a typical daydream. Thousands of them. It's really interesting. That's about really Phil Lesh, she says. I know. But Phil Lesh, she says, what makes them essentially a dance band? Probably begins with the jazz classical bassist Phil Lesh and the Elvin Jones influence Bill Kreutzmann. Lesh is one of the most skilled bassists you will ever hear in subtlety and invention. Combined with Kreutzmann, the rhythm section is hard to beat. That rhythm section, along with the elements of traditional rock and roll and American folk music, is what makes the dead insurpassable. It's brilliant, isn't it? I mean, I, 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 you want more of that. His analysis, as Barry talks about Elvis Costello, he said, it's fantastic, but there's just too many ideas. There's just too much, too much to take in. It's true. You know, it's just too much to, to absorb. You just want him to kind of calm down and just and edit it and, and just give you less. It's really good. You wish there was more about it. It's a good book, though. It's fantastic. The Word Podcast. Clearly, there is no plan. This is a book I keep coming back to, Mark, if I can listen. It's so good. I've been reading this it, is, too. This is uh, The World of Family History by Simon Seabag Montefiore, who we had as guest on uh, Word in Your Ear uh, a couple of weeks ago. And and if you missed this, basically, it's a history of the whole world, but it's a family history. So it's, the idea is it's told through families. So it's about personal relationships as well as history. And so I won't claim that I started this book at the beginning and, and read all the way to the end, but I, I put it on, on the side in the kitchen. And I just went up when the kettle's boiling. I just open it 
And I pick a page at random. And, and on every page. Every page. Something <laughs> astonishing happens. It's, Usually involving kind of the mass murder of 30,000 people who are all boiled, flayed alive and then burnt to a crisp. It's unbelievable. It's, it's actually, it's sex and violence very often. Yeah, it is. It's what it comes down oh, to. Oh, yeah, it is. It's absolutely extraordinary. So, Mark, I'm going to try this as a live experiment. Go on. There's a thousand pages in this book, as you all well know. Yep. Tell me a page number. Give me a page number. I'm going to have a go. 643. 600. 643. See if you can find something horrific on page 643. 643. Um, at, at this place, 50,000 splendid Persian troops blocked the way. I can tell where this is going. Uh, they routed, routed the Iranians, laid siege to Isfahan, where 80,000 died of starvation. That's the God. kind of thing. Just pick absolutely. Shall I give I'm going to give oh. you a Have you got a copy of it there? I've got one here. I was going to just kind of read you a couple of little tiny bits. It's so on, funny. I was on. reading this morning. One is about Peter I, uh, the Muscovite czar. Oh, God. It says, Peter, a twitching giant of six foot seven, said, uh, uh, was gifted with the three essentials that every politician requires to achieve anything. VAR, vision, acumen and resources, as well as an invincible constitution a taste for, for wild wassailing that involved lethal alcoholic consumption, dwarves jumping out of cakes, naked girls and fist fights. So that's just the kind of people he's dealing with. And here's another one. This is the French Revolution. He oh, says, God, yeah, uh, yeah. French Revolution says, In Paris, Sansa, now be uh, beloved as Charlotte or as the National Avenger, and his sons beheaded 2,900 of Robespierre's victims. Sanson became so exhausted he handed over to his son Gabriel, yeah. and in a telling moment of the terror, Gabriel was beheading so many people that holding up a head to the crowd, he slipped on the blood, fell off the scaffold, and broke his neck. Like Saturn, wrote an observer, the revolution devours its children, and the feasting had just begun. And those were just two random moments where I just Absolutely. opened the book up. It's absolutely, absolutely incredible. It, 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 highly recommended. So, uh, as is Trevor Horn's book, Adventures in Modern Recording, which uh, we taught Trevor. So that's out there on YouTube. And our lovely uh, recording with Pat Nevin, too, which is fantastic. Pat Nevin, the footballer, uh, formerly of Chelsea, Everton and Scotland, and uh, but, really really, but really really, wanted to be in a rock band. Yeah, he rock, did. Rather than... The moment when he gets up and sings with the Proclaimers, is it, it gets more, yeah. far more attention than any of his uh, sensational goals. So that's that's all going on. Uh, as ever, if you're not a Patreon supporter, why don't you look into it? Patreon.com slash word in your ear. And you could be joining us at on a social in a couple of weeks' time. When is it? The 14th? Monday? 14th, Monday the 14th, week on London, Monday. Monday it's a little 14th. place in Covent Garden, I think. It'll be fun. In, in a London hostelry where we'll, we shall sit around and drink pints and talk shit about the world. <laughs> <laughs> What's not As is our like? road. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by the word.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.